Hey, this is Nate with Purity for Life. If you haven't already heard the big news, here it is. On April 1st, we will be officially changing the name of this podcast to the Pure Life Ministries Podcast. If you're subscribed, you don't need to do anything on your end except be on the lookout for some new album art and our new name. If you aren't subscribed, Now would be a great time to do that so that you don't need to remember to find us under our new name, the Pure Life Ministries Podcast. Once we roll out the Pure Life Ministries Podcast, I'll be explaining why we made this change and announce some other changes coming that I think you'll really find to be a blessing. All of that will happen when we release our first episode on April 1st under the new name, the Pure Life Ministries Podcast. All right, that's it for now. Here's the episode. Because we're so temporal, you know, minded, there's a false sense of spiritual well-being. We have all our basic needs met. You know, Jesus said how hard it is for a rich man to mm-hmm. enter the kingdom of heaven. And because we are so affluent in our culture from a, from a materialistic standpoint, we really don't see our needs spiritually. If you want to live in victory, you have to see that you are weak, that you're helpless, that you cannot meet your own needs. That is not the reality that the average 21st century American wants to embrace. In fact, American prosperity has made it possible for the average person to meet all of their own needs without even acknowledging God. But this attitude of self-dependence leaves millions estranged from God and bound to sin and all its consequences. In today's episode, we want to show you that it's when we embrace our helplessness that we begin to live in victory because that's when we find that God longs to meet all of our needs. Thanks for joining us on our latest series, Victory. This is Purity for Life. One day Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician. He was making a profound spiritual point, which is incredibly relevant to what we're talking about today. We all know that if a man isn't sick, he won't go to the doctor. But that's not what Jesus was driving at. He was saying this, if a man does not see himself as being sick, he will not see his need for a doctor. And the truth is, at the spiritual level, None of us like to be needy. We're way more comfortable just pretending that we're okay. But if we do that, we won't see our need for Jesus, and so we won't go to him. We need to spend some time today looking at this on a deeper level. So to do that, I had Patrick talk with three of our counselors to get their perspective about how we as a society and as humans in general tend to avoid being needy. Something that as we were preparing for this episode we were thinking about was that it seems like when you talk to people, most people in America just aren't happy with where whatever they have, wherever they're at in life. They want a better marriage, a better job, a nicer house, a newer car. Um, there's just this general dissatisfaction with life that permeates our culture. But then When you talk to the same people about spiritual matters, it seems like, well, I'm okay. 
it's not a big deal. There's just kind of an apathy and a, a contentment with where they're at. How is it that in America we can be so dissatisfied with every aspect of our life, but very just apathetic about spiritual things? Well, Patrick, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that people really live with a wrong perspective. Uh, their focus is on the here and the now, the temporal stuff. And so for most people, that just kind of automatically anchors their life much more in things that are, you know, the natural realm, the material realm than it does in the spiritual realm. Uh, and they, we just don't see right. Like Second Corinthians 4 tells us, while we don't look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are just temporary, but the things that are not seen are mm -hmm. eternal. Like that's the weighty thing. That's the mm -hmm. real. That's the, the place we should have all of our attention and focus and be anchored spiritually. Uh, but it's just not what happens because what's in front of me seems so big and real and, and demanding of my attention, earning mm -hmm. a living, you know, making my life a little more comfortable and happier. Uh, all that seems to be so much more important than spiritual matters. And it's easy to just let the spiritual things slide mm -hmm. to the back. Mm -hmm burner. You know, we take care of those on Sundays. We go to church or maybe mm -hmm. we do have a little devotion time in the morning or something. But, you know, it's just uh, kind of on the fringes of our life, really. And I think the culture appeals a lot to lust, <laughs> the lust of the eyes, mm -hmm. lust of the flesh. It's always appealing to that grass is always greener on the other side mentality. And there's a lot of competition, worldly competition. It's like that mixed with inner idolatry is a recipe for unsatisfaction. You know, James 4 talks about that. Like, where do those wars and those desires come from? Well, it's in us. And, you know, it's almost like the more that the world and that we think that we're going to um, be satisfied with, it just ends up leaving a huge gaping hole, um, you know, that seeks to be filled even more. That's so true. And the other thing is because we're so temporal, you know, minded, because we're so materialistic in our culture, there's a false sense of spiritual well-being. We have all our basic needs met. You know, Jesus said how hard it is for a rich man to mm -hmm. enter the kingdom of heaven. And because we are so affluent in our culture from a, a natural standpoint, from a materialistic standpoint, we really don't see our needs spiritually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I think what's what's interesting is that we when we do feel that need, we have created systems for meeting them. So we have if you're depressed, there's medication. If you're bored, we have a wealth of entertainment. Um, if we you know start to be dissatisfied with the way we look, we can get plastic surgery. Um, and we have tons of answers in books and on the internet when we're wanting to answer problems and life's questions. So I think that having the all these resources kind of stops us from seeing our need um, for God. And one of the things that um, as we were preparing for the interview that we felt uh, really gets in the way is this self-esteem movement, which is huge um, both in our culture and in the church. Um, so could you guys just kind of briefly um, touch on what exactly is the basic premise of the self-esteem movement. I would say basically it's the idea that man's good mm -hmm. and you just need to mm -hmm. accept your own self-worth, have a positive self-image, you know, think highly of yourself. 
And because of that, we basically consider a lot of our problems stem from the fact that we have a low self-esteem. We don't see ourselves in a positive light. Yeah, this whole movement, you know, you can trace it really back to like the 60s and it's uh, at least the modern version of it. And by the 70s, you see it, you know, kind of really coming to its own in the educational realm and in the uh, psychological or therapy realm. And so by the 80s, our whole culture has pretty much bought into this. And now we have generations of people that have grown up not knowing any different than than this whole self-esteem movement that has dominated the culture around mm-hmm. us and really put self at the center. Mm-hmm. And whenever you put self at the center, you're automatically pushing God off mm-hmm. to the side somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really uh, what's happening. And I think – you know, along with the positive thoughts, positive experiences, I, I think the goal has been to protect mm-hmm. people from pain, from suffering, mm-hmm. from negative experiences. That's mm-hmm. that's kind of what has been so attractive about it because mm-hmm. after all, who wants that sort of thing? You know, who's, yeah. mm-hmm. who's right. raising their hand to volunteer yeah. for pain yeah. and suffering? Yeah. But in reality, you, you know, God has a plan and a purpose for those things in our life. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's <laughs> – so true because it's like the opposite of poverty of spirit. You know, it's almost like that I am spirit. I am this. I am strong. All of these different things. And it is a self-protection kind of um, mentality. You know, it's no wounds, no hurts, no infiltration of pain. You're not going to tell me, you know, how to live my life. And it's just exalting, you know, self. It's like a admission of I don't need anything else. Nothing's going to divert me from what I believe mm-hmm. I want to do. You know, it's about me. Yeah. And it sounds so uh, appealing and and, and smooth, really, that, you know, even the church has bought into this. Let's Mm -hmm. be clear Mm -hmm. about that. Mm -hmm. This isn't Mm -hmm. just outside the church. This is Mm -hmm. dominating inside the church as well. And and you see it in in little ways, like the participation trophies that different church leagues Mm -hmm. hand out, that sort of thing. That's (laughs) all a product of this self-esteem movement. Mm -hmm. Uh, But even like my own personal experience, uh, it's been uh, almost 20 years ago or, or around that, mm-hmm. I was a, a, a counselor in a faith-based drug and alcohol treatment facility. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, to call yourself a treatment facility, you have to be licensed by the state. And if you're licensed by the state, then you have to do individual treatment plans. And in those treatment plans, and I wrote hundreds of them, maybe even a thousand or more, mm-hmm. uh, almost every one of them, I, I would say 99% of them, one of the treatment goals was improve self-esteem because mm. I was part of that culture for a long time. I didn't know about biblical counseling mm-hmm. uh, and was doing counseling from that perspective. Yeah. I remember when I came, before I came to the the program, one of the things, uh, the year when the Lord was beginning to convict me of things, I wanted to love myself more. That was the thing that was Mm -hmm. just on my heart. Lord, please help me to love myself. And I thought that was important and that that would help me uh, in yeah. life. So. Yeah, it's a very common thing that, that people have, are, are being told. It's, it's not just the past. They're getting told that today. Uh, it's really damaging a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's being sung too, <laughs> you know, in worship uh, services. You know, it's how much of the worship music that I listen to just in tune with, okay, like, is this biblical or is this more of a self-esteem more positive song. And the thing about it is the feelings go along with that. You know, it's like singing those songs. It's like, oh man, I'm right with God. I'm, but it's just a puffing up of 
the selfishness you yeah, know, that's that, in there. That's a great point, Skip, because uh, the worship music is another place where you see this has mm-hmm. invaded the church and, and it's become very self-centered, mm-hmm. man-centered, mm-hmm. even in the lyrics and, and the focus and as you were saying, the feelings then that come along with that. It's like worship itself has become uh, not uh, something that focuses on glorifying God, but something mm-hmm. that makes me feel better about myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. You're all biblical counselors, and so when guys are coming with issues, you're taking them to the Word of God and addressing the issues and the the ways that their thinking is wrong um, from what the Word of God says. So as far as this basic premise of the self-esteem movement, you've touched on some of the ways already that it's unbiblical, but could you talk a little bit more based on Scripture what you see as wrong with uh, the self-esteem movement? Sure. Well, the Bible teaches, you know, there has to be, the gospel's good news, there has to be bad news first. And, you (laughs) know, Paul said in Romans 3 that there's no one that's righteous. Hmm. He goes on to say there's no one who does good. The idea that nobody comes without being a sinner, you know, your need for a savior has to, you -hmm. know, stem from the fact that you're a sinner, that you're not good, and you can't fix yourself. Hmm. The other thing is, you know, instead of esteeming ourselves, Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, in lowliness of mind, we're supposed to esteem others Mm. as better than ourselves. And I've heard people even say that, you know, Jesus taught us an implied third commandment where he says, love God first with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, in the self-esteem movement, you need to learn to love yourself first Mm -hmm. before you can love others. Mm -hmm. But one of the characteristics of our age that's a bad thing in scripture is men will be lovers of themselves. Mm -hmm. Jesus knew we already loved ourselves too much. Good. Now treat everyone else that way. Mm -hmm. And then the final thing I'd have to say very simply is instead of esteeming ourselves, Jesus said, deny yourself. Mm -hmm. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pastor Ed said it earlier. It leaves God totally out of the picture. You know, it almost opposes him because this whole movement is, you know, rooted in pride. You see throughout Scripture, all of God's names, you know, as Jehovah, you see him as provider, you see him as my righteousness. And in the self-esteem movement, you you can't see him as those things because all you're seeing is just, is, is you. And every time that we look at ourselves, there's always going to be no hope. That's why we have to look at Jesus, you know, and First Peter says, casting all your cares on him. Matthew talks about coming to him in weakness. Corinthians talks about in our weakness, he is strong. You see over and over in the Old Testament, judges, you see David, you see Saul, all of them were the weakest of the weak. And so that says to me, God wants to use weakness, not mm. self-strength, you know. Yeah, and like we were saying earlier, uh, it puts self and feelings at the center of the person's life, uh, and and we're protecting that person mm-hmm. from anything negative, from all those negative feelings, mm-hmm. and it ignores uh, the fact that Jesus said, "In the world you will have tribulations," uh, and mm-hmm. in Romans five, it even tells us that God uses those tribulations in our lives. It says there that uh, we glory in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance. Mm-hmm character and character mm-hmm. hope. And, you know, it's that connection between the negative experiences that, that the biblical word there is tribulation, but don't complicate it. It's just mm-hmm. things that make you feel bad mm-hmm. uh, and, and come against your self-life. Uh, mm-hmm. And those tribulations have everything to do with producing the character that God's after. So, you know, it's just fundamentally 
uh, we're taught to protect self and God mm. is all about not protection but preparation. He's preparing us for something. Mm. What would you say he is preparing us for? God is preparing us to be the body of Christ on earth here and, of course, for e- eternal things in heaven. But the character is essential here as well mm. to lead others to the kingdom of God, to point others to the kingdom of God, to help others through their circumstances and, and tribulations mm-hmm. that would bring them into seeing things from God's perspective. Mm. That's what God's preparing us for. Yeah. And that just makes me think about the whole Mm. point of this series, living in victory through the power of mercy. Mm. And you're touching on the purpose is to build in us a desire to do good for other people. So if we want to live in victory, we need to begin to live like you guys are saying, denying self Mm. and getting out of our own needs. Yes. As we were preparing for this interview, um, we ended up on the Mayo Clinic website and found an article that was intriguing to us with seven steps on how to feel better about yourself. And I'd like to get, again, your take from a biblical perspective on two of those that stood out to us. So the first one was positive self-talk. Could you guys just kind of touch on um, what you see as some of the issues in that aspect of the self-esteem movement? I could think of two right off the bat. One of them is the positive self-talk is based on a lie and it's not based on the truth. So no matter how much you pump yourself up and say how wonderful you are and all these different things, it's not true. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, if the foundation's faulty, the building's going to crumble. Mm-hmm. So there's no real foundation for that, you know, to say, you know, that I'm basically good or if I just think positive, I can change my life and move mm-hmm. in a positive direction. It's just not going to happen mm-hmm. because you're the source mm-hmm. and you're not mm-hmm. – you're never going to find the resources within yourself to go where you're looking to go. Mm-hmm. And then the second aspect with that is it's a substitute for faith because it is about you. It is mm-hmm. about what you can bring to the table. And I love that scripture in a Habakkuk 2.4 where he says, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the mm-hmm. just shall live by his faith. And well, it's interesting, he's contrasting not pride with humility, but pride with faith. Mm-hmm. So the proud man has faith in himself. It's trusting in yourself. Mm-hmm. And the Bible says, cursed is the man who trusts in man, whether it's yourself or some other man. If they're your source, you're cursed. It's like you're going to Egypt, like the children of Israel did, to look for help. Mm. Or the man who trusts in the Lord is the man who walks by faith. And that's the contrast here. Self-talk is all about you Mm. and believing in yourself. Faith is about trusting in the Lord to bring to the table, like Skip said earlier, the things that we don't have within Mm. ourselves. Yeah, I have personal experience in this. I remember trying to will myself into sanctification by the things that um, I would say positively over my life. But the fruit always showed the real evidence of what was going on inside of my heart. And it just reminds me of Jeremiah 17, 9, you know, it says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? That means I can't understand. (laughs) And what I say about myself is probably a wrong view um, of how the word and how the and how the Lord sees uh, my heart condition. That's why I, you know it's it just cries out for uh, to see Him in neediness, and you know it's almost like positive self talk only puts high expectations of um, the flesh, and instead of that, I had to do an inward you know heart search, just like Psalm one thirty nine says to do, to really walk in accordance with um, how God 
views uh, my heart. I don't know if that makes sense. I think so. <laughs> I, I really liked what you, you were saying, Ken, because it, it touches on the fact that this positive self-talk, it's not, it's actually sin, it's pride, and that means we have to repent of it. So it's, I mean, that just puts it in perspective. Like this is, we can't fall into this lie that the culture and even the church is giving to us because it's sending us away um, from the Lord's will. Yeah, because Jesus was very clear, remember, that we're to deny self and mm -hmm. anything you're doing to build up self or promote mm -hmm. self or, you know, speak positively of self kind of doesn't go hand in hand with that self-denial then that mm -hmm. Jesus said was so mm -hmm. essential. He said you can't even follow him until mm -hmm. that's a key mm -hmm. part of what's happening in your life. So mm -hmm. we end up at odds with the Lord and everything he's trying to do in our lives and we're bucking against all mm -hmm. of it right at the core of what he's trying to accomplish mm. in us. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I was, like, yeah, I was like, gonna say something, but then you Oh no no no. <laughs> just just give it <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It it's so true because basically um Skip had mentioned that scripture about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, but the other aspect is the pride of life. Uh. And our culture is living out the pride of life. Wow. And this whole self-esteem movement is part of that, like, you know, just building yourself up. Mm -hmm. And Jesus said, not pump yourself up. He said, if you continue in my word, abide in my word, you'll know the truth. Mm -hmm. And the truth will set you free. And the mm -hmm. first thing you need to know is that you're not good. Right. That you are a sinner. Yeah. And then the gospel becomes good news. There's a way out of who you are right. and your lack of ability to change that. Hmm. Uh, the other aspect of the self-esteem movement that I wanted to touch on today was this idea that I think you hear in secular culture and in the church, which is to forgive yourself. So what would you guys uh, have to say on that? Yeah, well, obviously we ended up there because self has been at the center, man's been at the center, mm. you know, of our Christianity now for a decade or more. Uh, and so naturally we arrive at this place where even when it comes to forgiveness, now self is mm. the focus and the center of even that. And it's just completely unbiblical. Mm. Uh, you know, mm. that's, I, I don't know how else to say yeah. it. <laughs> to say. There's nothing biblical about the need to forgive yourself. It's What it's really acknowledging is that we don't see our sin right at all. Mm. We don't see the people that we've sinned against. We don't see the holy God that we've sinned against if we're thinking that we need to forgive ourselves in any mm. way, shape, or form. The, we just have a, a really totally skewed perspective of our sin at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And like he said, you know, all sin is against God. Like David said, against you only have I sinned. Right. And that was after he committed adultery and murder. Wow. Mm. But it's also against other people. And it's a debt. We actually owe them something. I thought about the example of someone embezzling a million dollars from a company, but going up to the CEO and said, it's okay, I forgive myself. Mm. I don't have to right. pay you back. Yeah. No, you owe yeah. them something. They need to forgive you. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's the thing. We don't have the authority to forgive ourselves mm -hmm. because we owe someone else something that we cannot pay back ultimately. Mm -hmm. And that's why Jesus came. Yeah. It's almost like that whole idea is taking God's position as judge because it's putting us at the center of, oh, okay, well, I need to forgive in order for me to feel better about myself. It just reminds me that pride so blinds 
um, us from our true need. I mean, it really does to the point to where we're at the pinnacle of our own life. You know, it's yeah. it's so skewed, <laughs> so skewed. Yeah, that's that is it, uh, Skip. That's exactly what's happening. We're putting ourselves and our forgiveness higher mm. than God's forgiveness, as mm. if ours is what really matters mm. and His is just nice to have alongside of yeah. ours. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay, I want to break in here for a moment and make sure that we're all on the same page. The point of this show is that if we want to live in victory, we have to see our need. We have to come face to face with the reality of how helpless we really are. Why? Because unless we see really clearly that only God has the strength to deliver us from our sins, we're not going to turn to him. Again, in America, we have a thousand and one things apart from God that are calling to us, I'll save you, turn to me. The self-esteem movement is just one of those things. If we're going to move forward toward a life of victory, we have to ask ourselves, am I really looking to God to meet my needs or am I really, deep down, looking to something else? In Scripture, God reveals himself to be incredibly generous and kind, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, He's kind to both the good and the wicked. He meets people's general needs with food and water and clothing and rain for crops. But in his goodness, he's also interested in meeting our deepest needs, our spiritual needs. So I wanted to start this half of the interview off um, by just asking you guys, how have you seen that to be true in your own lives and as you've studied uh, Scripture? When you asked that question, the first thing that I thought of was my emotional needs. I knew that God could take care of spiritual needs. I knew that he could take care of even my future. Um, But as a person who has struggled with the whole self-esteem issue, um, I saw him to be so there, agonizing in prayer, (laughs) just telling him, pouring out my heart before him, um, even recently knowing that that place of prayer, that place of even the battle of the doubt and the unbelief and Lord worry, are, are, he can handle all of those questions. Mm-hmm. And what's rising out of me because of that is thanksgiving, you know, the total opposite of self-talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've seen him more through the failures, through walking in the light, through confessing, through all that First John talks about. And I've seen him not let me die Um, when I think that I am so close to the edge of despair. That's when he comes in even deeper than that despair. Hmm. Um, Even in, I forget, well, what's the word? Um, I think in in Ephesians where it talks about um, he reigns um, so high above every principality, every kingdom, um, and that's far above, you know, so if that's true, and I believe that is, and it's true for me that he reigns far above my feelings, my emotions, and I can trust him with that, uh, no matter what comes my way. Um, and I love it because it seems so much like a hide and seek game. 
um, to where I'm seeking and seeking and seeking. It almost feels like he's hiding, but that seeking feels so much of that satisfaction that I was seeking through positive self-talk, through, you know, trying to run after the world. It's so different. You know, he satisfies the inward um, where I was wanting to be satisfied outwardly. So that's the the biggest thing um, that I've seen him, him do as of recent. Yeah, for me, it boils down to, you know, our deepest needs are our spiritual needs, really, uh, because nothing in this world can even try to meet our spiritual needs. That takes a spiritual being. God alone can can do that. And he did it, you know, obviously uh, our need for a savior. <laughs> Just take that because I don't think any of us have a literally a deeper need than that. But God provided for that before the foundation of the world. Wow. So he was already committed right. to meeting our very deepest need before mm-hmm. he created anything else mm-hmm. at all. Wow. So that tells us something about God's commitment to meeting our needs. And mm-hmm. then you take our spiritual needs and, and you could tie in, you know, our emotions or whatever there, like Skip was talking about. You know, God does have a way to meet us in those places. Like mm-hmm. Skip was saying, it's those depths of mm-hmm. despair kind of, you know, those really yeah. needy moments mm-hmm. where nothing's going right, it mm-hmm. seems, or, or I'm just uh, lost and confused mm-hmm. and, and in this pit mm-hmm. somehow of whatever kind of pit it is. But mm-hmm. God is more present there in our lives, has mm-hmm. always come and met us there mm-hmm. when we turn to him. And and at least that's my testimony. Mm-hmm. And I think hundreds of others would right. agree. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's so true. And I could say the same. One of the things that strikes me is, you know, since God is concerned about our deepest needs, number one is he knows what they are. Right. And they're definitely spiritual. It's definitely, you know, in context of relationship with him. But I've seen that God has met my deepest needs by not answering my prayers the way I wanted to, not giving me what I wanted, tearing down the things that I was trying to build right. and putting yeah. within me things that I would have never even asked for, yeah. you know, and putting circumstances in my life to help make that that were difficult right. that I wouldn't mm-hmm. have asked for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But because he's infinitely wise and loving, he not only wants to meet our deepest needs, he knows how best to meet those mm-hmm. needs, even if we don't get what we think we need or what we want in the process. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that stands out to me is all of you are talking about how God wants, desperately desires to meet our needs, but it seems like in general, humans just don't want that. We want to push against that and to try and satisfy ourselves. So what is it about our hearts that keeps us from being satisfied and allowing God to supply our needs? Yeah, I, it's we don't want to be weak. You know, we want to hide. It goes back to the garden, um, trying to make fig leaves and, oh, these are my accomplishments. These are my good things that I've done. Um, and it's like we think that that's going to please God, but, you know, it's not that. It's the broken and contrite heart that he longs to um, redeem. And what comes to mind is the scripture in First John, you know, walk in the light as he is in the light and we'll have fellowship with him and others. And he also says in Isaiah, you know, come and reason together with me. We don't want to reason. We want to almost like create sacrifices for him um, in order to be good with him. Um, it's almost like, you know, I, I'm taking this from you, Pastor Ray, when you said it, when the Lord revealed it to you, but it's like we really do make him into a caricature. And that's who we believe him to be because it's out of a wrong view. It's like we're missing that 
place of poverty of spirit um, in order to really see him. You know, without some kind of difficulty, we don't know who God really is. But when that's there, when those crossroads are there and we have to choose, that's when he really shows up in that choosing. You know, when we decide to choose him, we see him as all those things that he reveals himself as in uh, the word. Yeah, I I mean, I see kind of a two-sided thing going on here. One is we're really pushed uh, towards self-sufficiency. Everything in our Mm -hmm. culture and the way Mm -hmm. we're brought up and stuff pushes us into that mindset that I should really be able to take care of myself, provide Mm -hmm. for myself, meet my own needs, just grows right out of that kind of thinking. And on Mm -hmm. the other hand, we have a really small God, like Skip uh, Mm -hmm. alluded to, you know, God is like a caricature in most of our lives. He's Mm -hmm. just, we have certain elements about him that are kind of exaggerated, but a lot of God is just so small Mm -hmm. in our thinking. And uh, we don't trust him then because we don't see him right. How can you trust a God you don't really know, don't Mm -hmm. really have fellowship with, Mm -hmm. that we just don't see accurately? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I found that in my own life, exactly that, you know, having a wrong view of God, that it's almost like God can become the enemy because uh-huh. I have my own plans, I have my own agenda, right. or I think I need a certain thing, and somehow God's not coming through for me, uh-huh. but he knows better than I do what I need. So instead of trying to micromanage my life to make sure I get what I perceive I need, I just need to trust the Lord mm-hmm. that he knows better. He's a good father, he knows better, and he's going to do it his way mm-hmm. and in his timing. And I can trust in that because I can't – I could try to micromanage my life, but I'm not sovereign over the universe. I don't have much control at all anyway. So it's better just to trust him because he knows what he's doing. Yeah. yeah, and you kind of touched on another point there, Ken. It might be a little on the side, but the aspect of God as a father. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people, we know God is our father. If you know much about biblical Christianity, you know that. But – most of us have had earthly fathers who were far from perfect. And as a result, we see God through that lens. And uh, again, it's just one of those things that distorts our understanding of God, our perception of God, keeps us from trusting him because our earthly fathers hurt us or failed us mm-hmm. uh, in some way. And we see God very much as, you know, kind of like a deadbeat dad, honestly. Mm-hmm. Wow. Pastor Steve mentioned in one of the previous episodes, um, and you mentioned it uh, in the first half of it, that we're being prepared for something. You Mm -hmm. talked about being prepared for being part of the body of Christ. He mentioned being prepared spiritually for eternity, for our whole life um, with God. Um, So as we're telling people to live this overcoming life, um, on the one hand, that they need to be aiming for that, we're also by talking about need and you can't do it, that kind of running people into this uh, wall where we're telling them you have to accomplish the impossible (laughs) um, and hoping then that they see their needs. So why is it that being brought to this place of seeing our need um, in such a drastic way so important in the Christian life? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And really, you know, one of the things that occurs to me uh, is uh, 
it's essential in order to correct our view of God. We've been talking about how we don't see him right. Well, the way we'll need to see that we'll come to see him correctly has to do with being uh, put in this impossible place where I have mm. to accomplish the impossible. And that's where we learn that God delights to accomplish the impossible. He right. loves to do what is impossible for man. Mm. And that's where he shows up and, and is revealed in all of his real glory and strength and wow. power and love and concern and compassion for our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in ourselves, uh, for our, uh, it also produces a brokenness that we can't mm-hmm. really get any other way. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we need to be broken of our self-will, mm-hmm. our self-sufficiency, all those other tentacles of our self-life. Mm-hmm. All of that needs to be broken. And that's what being squeezed, if you will, in <laughs> mm-hmm. that place of impossibility will help do for uh-huh. us is break us and put us in the right place before the Lord so that he can have his rightful place in our life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so many scriptures that depict that same thing. James talks about that. Blessed are you when you experience those trials and temptations. And it reminds me of 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10. It just says, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought for sure we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learn to rely on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. So it's replacing that self-mentality of self-strength and relying on ourselves, and it's being replaced by a a reliance on God. But it all hinged off of being crushed and overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and Jesus said, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for Mm -hmm. theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And when we come to that dire need where we know that we have nothing in ourselves mm-hmm. to meet our need, it's when we turn to the Lord. And then we find him to be our Savior, all that we need, and so much more than we could have hoped for. Mm-hmm. But it starts with our, our whole culture gravitates in the opposite direction, building up self. We've been talking about that. And it's it's counterintuitive because we're taught to you know be self-sufficient, like Pastor Ed said, to be able to do it ourselves, and God's saying we can't do it. But when we finally come to the end of ourselves, that's when he can come in and do his work in our lives. Amen. Well, thanks so much for coming in. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Coming to a place of total helplessness before God is not easy. In that place, we realize, if he doesn't forgive me, I'm not forgiven. If he doesn't help me, I won't be helped. If he doesn't deliver me, I'll never be delivered. But as hard as it can be to get to the place where we're completely dependent upon him, it is in that place that we find a God who's absolutely willing and able to do all of these things for us. If you're still in the bondage of addiction and sin and you're wondering why you haven't yet found the strength to live in victory, can I ask you, Are you really sure that you've seen your need? Many of the men who come to our residential program, they've ruined their lives, they've lost their jobs and their marriages because of sexual sin. But when we begin to talk to them about their relationship with God, many of them immediately begin to defend themselves. They justify themselves. They're upset that we would even question that. Yes, they're broken up about their marriages, 
they realize their actions are wrong. But when we begin to show them areas of their lives where they're turning to something else or trusting in themselves or refusing to acknowledge their need, many of them, they just don't see it. I remember back in 2008 when I couldn't see my need, I prayed a really simple prayer. God, please open my eyes and show me the truth. And God heard my prayer and he began to open my eyes to my true need. It was really painful. But he also opened my eyes to see that he was willing to give me everything I truly needed. And I can say with no reservation, I will never regret asking him to do it. Perhaps some of you today are willing to ask God for the same thing. If you really mean it, he'll do it. The path, it may begin with total weakness, but it will end in victory. Thanks for joining us today on Purity for Life. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.